0: This NBA season, Mountain Dew is all about the threes, the shot that's changing the game. We'll be talking about Devontae Graham's Charlotte franchise record setting 10 threes the other night in the season he's having so far, brought to you by Mountain Dew, the official beverage of the NBA, Do the Dew. Today's episode of The Mismatch also brought to you by State Farm just like basketball the game of life is unpredictable talk to a state farm agent and get a teammate who can help you navigate the unexpected and help you handle whatever life throws your way unexpected like james harden's dunk not counting the other night and then the rockets protesting to the nba about the game get a teammate who can help you navigate the unexpected talk to a state farm agent today about combining your home and auto insurance Welcome to the Ringer NBA Show. I'm Chris Vernon, and joining me as he does every Friday from theringer.com is Kevin O'Connor, aka Kevin O'Bomber, aka Kevin O'Conflict, aka Kevin Opinionated, Kevin O'Croissant, Kevin O'Candyland, aka Kevin O'Climber.
1: Kevin! (laughs) Kevin Vernon, what's going on this Friday?
0: Well, first, before we get into anything, I do want to uh, thank a lot of different people that are listeners of this program that have given us shouts out over the last couple of days that was brought upon, I guess, a Spotify at the end of year. They do a wrap up and they send to people what they had listened at throughout the year and whether it was Twitter or Instagram or wherever else, uh, I know a lot of people had tagged you and I both on the Ringer NBA show being a big part of their lives for 2019. So... Uh, our cups runneth over. That was super nice to see. And thank you to all of you that have spent an inordinate amount of time listening to this show.
1: <laughs> yeah, ser- seriously. I know. listening to our, our goofy voices in your ears and yes. our, your commutes. And uh, it, it means the world, you know, to, to see those messages and um, have the, the relationship with you guys. So thank right. you.
0: So we have had a lot of stuff happen since we last spoke, Kevin, not the least of which the Houston Rockets are formerly protesting that the Spurs took Lonnie Walker out of witness protection, and then he buried them in the... Oh, that's not what they're protesting. <laughs> they are... They are protesting their loss where they blew oh, almost a 20-point lead. And oh, uh, on. James Harden had two points in the fourth quarter, and it went to double overtime because a basket uh, was not counted with eight minutes left to go in a 12-point game. Um... This is embarrassing to me. I saw you defended on Twitter yesterday and I was beside myself and I said, all right, I will save this for the show. How can you possibly defend this?
1: There's a difference between a bad call or a missed call. than missing a basket that went through the hoop. The basket went through the hoop. There's a difference here. It's not just a missed call. We saw the ball go through the hoop. The points were not counted when they should have been. There's, there's, precedent for this in the past 2 years ago Manu Ginobili accidentally threw a ball through the hoop it was a three pointer he meant to lob it it went in refs initially didn't count it then play stopped then they talked then they changed it this has happened and then in this case though it did not the points should count the, whether it it's reviewed and they replay or not i don't know i think it's a slippery slope if you do replay the game in the future However, this is unlike bad calls, missed calls, because the ball actually went through the hoop. So they are right to protest it, to at least get people talking about it, to at least get the league thinking about what you do in a scenario like this. They are right to protest because they missed a freaking made basket. There's a difference.
0: Okay, here's the thing. What That's fine if you want to protest the call. What do you what do you think the solution should be? I mean, look, you find the refs. The refs screwed up. It happens a lot. It happens a lot. Okay, I get. Right. I get that you say the basket went through, but on a on a on a block charge where a guy would have made a basket and they mess and they missed that call, or on a goaltend where the ball would have gone in if it yeah. weren't for the goaltend, the ball would have gone. I mean, this stuff happens. Yes, but yes, with eight minutes left stuff in the happens. game.
1: That stuff that's happens, but, but block charges, is, that's a whole different conversation. That's a 50-50 call a lot of the time. A made basket is a 100%. It should be 100%, and in this case, it wasn't. No, Whether it, a ball goes up. in or There's not. There's no
0: way around it, right? That, but look, there was they're, they're, eight minutes yes, left in the game. They're,
1: they're, I don't care about the situation. What are you talking I, I, let's, about? Let's, you don't care about the no, situation. You have to. Let's, let's, let's. let's but remove that context for a minute here. There's a difference between a block charge or a goaltend. Like there are so few things in life that are a or B. And this is one of those make or missed basket. And they missed it. They got it wrong. And it should be an a or B proposition. But in this case, it wasn't, they got it wrong. Okay. 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 Get stuff
0: wrong, Kev, but, they but, get, getting,
1: stuff wrong. but yes, get it. But getting back to your original question though, Okay, so it was wrong. What do you do about it? Well, I'm not sure here. All I know is that I think there needs to be an improved process in a situation like this. If it were to come up again, that's what I care about most here. First of all, the referee James Capers after the game, some real BS coming from him. He said he he made an offensive basket interference call. I did not see that signal at any moment after that. And then he mentioned that D'Antoni waited 30 seconds to challenge the play. Well, we didn't see, we don't have cameras on him the entire time, nor do we on capers with the call. However, I timed from the end of the, from the whistle to the time you see Dan Tony call a timeout, he calls it at 29 seconds. It's within 30 seconds. So that's one thing. And second of all, the 30 second rule, I've talked to a handful of people in the league that are like, that doesn't exist. Uh, it's, it's not exactly as he said it. Capers said, quote. It is a reviewable matter, but you have a window of 30 seconds to challenge the play during that timeout that he had while they were protesting the call, and they didn't.
0: Listen, listen, uh, I, J- J- James Capers was, but, but I, he, I've he heard was it's, an embarrassment. You know,
1: I've, but I've heard it's not exactly that, that case, that it's within 30 seconds of the call or non-call being made on the floor, that it's actually after a timeout and that some coaches, it's not always about twirling your finger or whatever. The fact is, is that, there needs to be an improved process if this happens again. That's what I That's what I care about most here. Whether the game gets replayed or not, I don't know. I don't care. But there needs to be a better process in a situation like this.
0: Well, James Capers was, as I said, he's an embarrassment after the game. That was, it was pathetic. His whole explanation for everything was terrible. This does not happen very often. My problem is they lost the game. They didn't lose because of that, right? That's not why they lost the game. And yet by protesting and making this a big story, it happened with eight minutes left to go. Let's say it was the second play of the game. Then what? I mean, it's well, still that, two yes. points that should have counted. Yes. You know? And
1: This this is what I mean. Remove the context. You're right. That's what I mean. It's not about the eight minutes left. It's not about that. They blew a lead. It's about this individual moment in the game. And it doesn't matter when it happened. That, that's what I mean, that you need for in this situation an improved process. That's why, I, that's why I'm glad they're protesting.
0: I think we are going to – this is where we will split ways. It does matter to me it, when it was in the game. If that is the last play of the game and that would have decided the win or the loss, to me, yes, that is a much bigger deal and uh, totally fair to protest. But when it happens with eight minutes left in the game and you played eight minutes and two overtimes – and you had a 12-point lead, like, stop already. That's not why you lost. That's just crying. Because if it happens on the last play of the game, it did decide the win or the loss. That's my problem with this. This didn't decide whether they won or lost that game. And the protest makes it seem as if, you know? And it's just like what they did when they bitched about the Warriors series. Then they sent in all of these different analytics that said, oh, well, actually, if this would have called, we would have won. <laughs> like, shut up, man. Like, shut up. It, it, if this would have happened, we would have won. Like, no, you wouldn't. Like, if it's at the end of I the know. game, if it's the last 30 seconds, and, and it's a tie game, and that play happens, You're damn right. That decided the game, but this didn't decide
1: the game. Yep. People, people understandably aren't taking it seriously because they hate the Rockets for one reason or another. Well, no, 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 I'm not saying that their reasons are unfounded. And so then they see something like this and understandably you're like, Oh yeah, of course Houston complaining again. But (laughs) again, it, it, it does ultimately doesn't matter who it is. A, a missed made basket happened and regardless of the team i think it's important that the nba whether whether they have the game replayed or not i'm not here to argue that i i have a lot of mixed feelings on that what my argument is i'm glad it was protested so it is bringing attention to the actual issue here which was a a made basket was not counted and in that case I hope the NBA is reviewing. Okay, how can we be better here in assuring this never happens again? Because that's an egregious mistake. It's not a missed block call. It's not a missed offensive interference call. It's a missed made basket. And the result here for Houston, it's disappointing. In the loaded Western Conference, that one game, any two points does make a difference in where you can end up in the standings. Whether well, it could drop you a seed, whatever. But regardless of the result, I hope the NBA is looking at this here and like, okay, how can we be better? Because they need to make sure this doesn't happen ever again, Chris.
0: Okay, they do. They, they, that's what they want. They want to make sure, but they want they want to have the final seven minutes and 50 seconds of the game yeah. be replayed with Houston up 15
1: points. Well, of, of course you do. I, 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 of course you would. It's embarrassing. But of course that's what you would want. If you're if you're running that team, Chris, if I'm if, if, I, if, I, if, if I was if, a sour you, grapes you're,
0: crier, you're right
1: No, I don't think so. Yes. I think if you I think if you're running the Memphis Grizzlies, no. I think if you're running that team and you guys are trying to make a playoff run and er- seeding matters and you get screwed out of two points in what was a close game, I think you would care and I think you would be fed up. I think anybody would be in that position and rightfully so, because like I said, missed calls happen. Not counting a made basket does not. There's a difference. There's a very big difference between the two. And this so often gets talked about, and I've made this mistake a couple times the past so, week. So, it, gets, it, they, it gets talked about as a missed call. It's not a missed call. It's, it's not a call at all. It's so a made what do you basket. do? You,
0: you just wipe out what happened afterwards. So hey, look, they just want to destroy any evidence of Lonnie Walker urinating on them the entire quarter. <laughs> That's what they want. They Look. want they want that to be stricken from the record books. They want it taken away. They want all the tapes destroyed. Like when uh, what was the kid's name? The Crawford kid at the Nike camp dunked on LeBron, and there was the secret tape of it, right? <laughs> they want the tape. They want the tape burned and act like that never happened. They want to take away Lonnie Walker's majestic fourth quarter and then the double overtimes. They probably want to take away uh, Demar Derozan drawing the charge. On James Harden and everything that took place. To me, look, it again. If it's at the very end of the game and it decided the winner, the loss. But during the course of games, all manner of screw jobs happen to teams. Every night, something happens in a game where you could say that was messed up. A guy, you know, what? What are we going to do if, uh, let's say you gave somebody their sixth foul and they say, "Well, we want to play the," and and that wasn't a foul. We want to play the rest of the game with our player because that wasn't a foul. You think that's fair? Like, that could absolutely decide a game. But you say, oh, well, he didn't get to play. So now we want to play the last eight minutes with our best player, who you fouled out with eight minutes left to go on a bad call. Like, it's crazy.
1: It's crazy. Like I said, I have mixed feelings on if they were to replay the game. My feelings feelings. feelings are
0: not mixed. This is goofy. Goofy and i think you are defending the houston rockets just to be a kevin o contrarian
1: no i'm not i mean when i i mean when i tweeted yesterday i i totally mean that and I, and I said that not knowing how you felt about it i didn't know how you felt you had to know no i, I mean you know
0: me well enough you know me well enough
1: i i had a feeling but i, I mean this sincerely when it, <laughs> like I, it doesn't matter like it's not going to impact the way i feel about it and i, I think the team is right to protest whether they whether it gets upheld whether adam silver's like you know what we're gonna have this these two teams replay this i don't know but i'm glad that they're protesting
0: i signed up for violin lessons so that i could honor the houston rockets with the violin that i need to play for them um lonnie walker as I mentioned, did go off in that fourth quarter. And the reason it was so funny is because there were so many people saying, who is Lonnie Walker, the fourth, right? He's just been off the radar and it's the craziest thing, Kevin. I've seen him, uh, two summer leagues in a row and he has come up where you and I have talked about it, uh, during the course of, uh, shows that we have done out in Vegas or like even when he played in the Utah summer league last year and you watch him and he's so clearly better than everybody you know, in many of the games that he's playing out there. And then it gets to the season and, you know, he had the injuries last year, but he didn't get a a ton of clock. And this year he has just been buried on their bench completely. And it's been kind of surprising because he's one of the rare guys that I've seen in the summer and really have thought, oh, wow, big things might be ahead and it just hasn't taken. And so you do wonder is, is that a breakout? And now we're going to start seeing Lonnie Walker possibly in a rotation, or was that just a gigantic flash in the pan? Because he has just not played, and I thought he was pretty damn good when every time I've seen him. I, I, hope,
1: I hope we're going to start seeing more of him. Popovich yeah. criticized him uh, early last month in November, um, was not happy with his play, and, and Lonnie Walker, as you just said, did not play. And I, what Popovich said was he was non-competitive. Uh, after his 19-point game against Houston this week, Popovich said he's starting to do the things that he needs to do in order to get minutes, and <laughs> I don't know if that's effort, but he sure as hell could score for damn sure, uh, and I think for San Antonio, I hope at some point this season they're able to give him more regular minutes on the court because this kid has so much offensive talent, and we often talk a lot about how DeJounte Murray and Derek White and Bryn Forbes are impressive young guards, but long term there's a chance Lonnie Walker ends up the best out of any of them he's a super talented young player who can score concrete off the dribble can play make a little bit as well and with the defense hopefully over time that improves for him he has the athleticism for sure Uh but with Walker he is definitely an x-factor for San Antonio moving forward it's just there's a lot of young talent ahead of him and then of course you have DeMar DeRozan and Patty Mills the veterans who are earning minutes as well but I hope Lonnie's able to get more playing time moving forward.
0: A lot ahead of him, but on, uh, but like I think we both agree on this. None of them are the kind of guys that could go do what he did with that just insane scoring barrage in the fourth quarter. Like he has that capability. He has more scoring ability than any of the any any of those guys that are playing ahead of him.
1: Well, yeah, of the young guys, yeah, of the young guys. I'm I'm, not the veteran guys. But I'm not, saying, not, like, uh, not your not your number one player, Demar Derozan.
0: No, because they got a bunch of they got a bunch of scoring guards. I mean, they've got, a, or I mean, they got a bunch of combo guards, right? They do. And, well, this is
1: this is this is part of my frustration with Demar. It's like Demar, you understand why you have him; he's a solid player, but he's blocking the development of some of these younger guys on the team from well, getting no, consistent minutes together.
0: Popovich is blocking that development, I think. <laughs> Not not necessarily Demar Derozan. It's his choice who to play. Demar's been playing big minutes this year, right? Like he plays these guys more minutes than in the past. Like there was, you know, there were some of those years where guys were getting twenty five, twenty six minutes a game for San Antonio. He plays these guys bigger minutes um, than he has in the past, and obviously he does not trust some of the younger players all that much, and they don't have all that long of a rope. Um, I do want to ask you about another second-year player, and this is the opportunity to give a kid from a, a, a that's playing at a small market some shine. Uh, since we last spoke, Devontae Graham set the Charlotte franchise record with 10 threes the other night, and this season he is having, Kevin. I mean, he's a second-round pick out of Kansas, um, veteran player there, and I didn't know this. I was reading an article. Steve Ashburner uh, at NBA.com wrote a really good article about this uh, and what and what's happened with him and kind of his plight i didn't realize he was uh how about this he was high school teammates with donovan mitchell how about that team good grief um that must have been but, fun yeah he has improved his scoring a 13 points per game at at time of that publishing um second year in the league he's up to 18 points per game he's banging threes he's you know, clearly will be in the mix for six man of the year, especially if Charlotte has a better season than people think. If anybody could knock Lou Williams out of that spot. But last year, you know, only played 46 games, kind of bounced back and forth from their G League team in Greensboro throughout the year. But what do we make of this? Because that was a, that was a hell of a draft last year with, we know, I mean, so many guys that appear to be big time mega stars going forward. Uh, certainly at the top of that draft, but here's this guy that got drafted in the second round of that draft, and just a monster breakout season for him, and certainly will be in the most improved uh, you know category, or you know he he certainly would have that award right now, probably through uh, what uh, twenty games of the season. What do we make of Devontae Graham?
1: Graham's for real, man. I think this is a a simply an, a continuation. Of what his development was in college. At Kansas, he he really started out just as like a, a bench scorer or as a spark plug. And then he improved as a playmaker in his junior and senior, especially his senior season. And in the draft though, it's like I, I looked at Graham and I and I thought, okay, here's a smaller guy who is a spark plug scorer. Maybe his playmaking's for real, but he's small and I he's a senior. And I I'm looking at all these things that don't matter in in the evaluation and factoring that in. When really, I don't think I personally looked enough, and as as the teams and thought, okay, yeah, this guy is just gonna be an energy guy for you, Lou Will esque, as you just said, Chris. But now in the NBA, I don't think his handle was what it needed to be from a skill standpoint last year, and that's one of the reasons for his struggles. Never mind that he's playing behind Kemba, but. That seems like it's improved to me. I think his handle looks tighter going to his right, and that was an area at Kansas that he didn't really have. He was he le- he went who th- was left a lot, and he seems to have a more of a balanced, unpredictable game, and that's opened up the whole floor for him, which has activated his playmaking skill, which is real, uh, which is activating his ability to get to the basket, which has never been a problem for him at college. And now he's doing it in the NBA. I think it's just a continuation of the progression we saw over four years at Kansas. So it's nice to see.
0: You know what's kind of crazy? And Steve did a very good job in this article, you know, kind of highlighting some different facts that I was unaware of. Um, I mean, this kid has had some very big games so far. 35-point game against Indiana. He was 9 of 16, three-point shooting versus the Knicks. He had a 16.15 assist game against Detroit. But how about this? You know, it's kind of all clicked for Andrew Wiggins this year, more so than it ever has before. He's averaging 25 points a game, five rebounds, three and a half assists, you know, and it's kind of, it's clicked more than it has before for Wiggins, right? How about this one? Devontae Graham was born February 22nd, 1995. Andrew Wiggins, February 23rd, 1995. Wow, and their journeys hardly could be more different. But th- the reason he brings those two up is because they were both in Kansas together, right? And yep. and look at the different ways they went. They are a day apart in age, and here they are both at this same time in their life, becoming different players than they have ever been before. And, and part of you you know this part of the the Graham thing is for sure. We always get ageist when it comes to the draft. It it is held against you. It is like a scarlet letter when you are the age that Devonte Graham was. I mean, I just told you he's the same age as Andrew Wiggins, for God's sakes. We've no been talking it. about Andrew Wiggins for six years. <laughs> Andrew Wiggins on his second contract. You know, this guy's in his second year in the NBA and you're
1: right. You're right. It's you know, people look at age, especially players coming out of the draft and use it against him. And I, and I look back at my evaluation of Graham, the scuttering report, like the pluses and minuses. I, I nail those, but it's like, why did I have him ranked like 50? <laughs> oh, you it's had him 50? The, oh, yeah, no. It's and it, it's because the age. It's because the age and not to mention, like I said, the handle going to his right was not great. And his defense being a smaller point guard, he was more just a gritty defender. But I, I missed on Van Vliet, as did every team with him going undrafted as well. I, un, I thought smaller point guard. How, how, what's his limit defensively? Well, Van Vliet he has become a an elite positional defender who puts in elite effort, who is somebody that just constantly is trying and grinding and getting underneath opposing guards, being a real pest in their ear. And Devontae Graham was that in college. It's just he's smaller, and I use that against him in addition to his age. But I don't I think with for me, the lesson moving forward was is with point guards like this. Scoring and playmaking, perimeter shooting, <laughs> that's all you need sometimes to be a success as long as you're trying and grinding on the defensive end of the floor. So Graham has that for him to keep him on the floor to get competitive minutes. But what makes him good is the scoring, scoring ability from the perimeter because this guy is a legit knockdown shooter. He shot over 40% in his four years at Kansas, shooting over 40% now from three, both off the dribble and off the catch. Guys get a good shot. And with that, that that and gritty defense gives you a foundation for success at the point guard position. So I think th- sometimes age, a lot of the time, age gets overvalued when it comes to ranking players. When so often we see these guys fall in the draft like Graham did and then end up being, or like Van Vliet did too, and then end up becoming successful NBA players. Oh, there's so
0: many of them too, right? I it's mean, en- it's endless, of really. Past- yeah. I mean, because you brought up, uh, you brought up Van Vliet. I mean, the greatest example is probably Malcolm Brogdon, um, who was fantastic at Virginia and is now um, really been great for Indiana this year. As, and he was, I mean, he had a 50-40-90 season last year for the Bucs. Uh, another one's Jalen so Brunson in, in Dallas, right? Same deal. Same deal. Jalen Brunson went in the second round.
1: He he struggled right. a little bit this year, but hopefully able to get back on track like he was last year. Because he was he was he was really good as a rookie, Brunson was.
0: Yes. And and we know he's a solid NBA player. Like he's gonna have a career, like a real career, which is more than you could say for a lot of guys that were drafted ahead of him. Um, let's get to other a couple other stories that have come out since we last spoke. One of which is the story about Zion Williamson and that it was gonna take a little bit longer than we thought originally the six to eight week prognosis. And now the story is followed up with him, not going to be playing back to backs upon his return. Whenever he does finally uh, come back, David Griffin, uh, the VP of basketball ops for the Pelicans, said that Williamson's return to the floor will be heavily monitored. He very likely will not be asked to take the pounding of back to backs initially, uh, There will be sort of a ramp up for him getting back to where you could call him full strength, but he's certainly going to be playing and we're trying to win basketball games. And quite frankly, we've done a horrible job of that. Um, He did have meniscus surgery uh, eh, right during the preseason. That's where, and last Monday marked the six-week mark and they had initially put a timetable of six to eight weeks on his possible return, so... It's. It looks like it's going to be a little bit longer than that. And Kevin, what, I mean, I don't know. Like, what, what
1: can Zion's rookie season be? I hope they do take it slow, Chris. They should. Zion is a guy that they want to invest in for the next 10-plus years, you hope, for your franchise. It's not just about this season. New Orleans, look, Zion is going to be awesome to watch. And I'm so stoked to see the creative actions we're going to see from Alvin Gentry with Zion on offense, but he doesn't solve their problems on defense. They rank 28th in defensive rating this year. They're not a playoff team. Uh, Four and a half games back right now of the eighth seed with five teams they would have to leap, Portland, Oklahoma City, Sacramento, San Antonio, Memphis, in order to get there. There's no reason to to rush Zion and push for the postseason this year just for an eventual uh, spanking in the first round, probably at the hands of the Lakers or Clippers. It's about making sure he's healthy moving forward and hopefully seeing that defense get better and more connected over the course of the year. That's what you want to see, but the priority should be being cautious with him. He's the guy you invested in with the number one pick.
0: Should they be better even without Zion? I was high on them. I thought they absolutely would be competing for the playoffs with what they did uh, I, in the offseason, with kind of what they added. I mean, you're talking, I know they've had some guys miss some time. Uh, this Jackson Hayes has gotten to play a little more recently and has given them some pretty good scoring, rebounding block shots off the bench and energy. Um, but even without Zion, I mean, is, is he the difference or were we just too high on the Pelicans?
1: I mean Zion's not going to solve their defensive problems yet you hope someday he can be that guy but right now he's not Uh, I thought this team would be a bit better defensively too with with holiday and Lonzo and Zion's versatility and what Ingram did the last two years with the Lakers on defense but without him there it seems like there's been a bit of a domino effect in terms of the maybe the connectedness and the effort on the defensive end of the floor um, that's hurt the team a lot but maybe Zion helps in that in that department maybe being you know Having him on the court does make them better, but um, I'm sure they wouldn't be any better than average on defense yet. It's hard to be good on defense when you're so young.
0: It's also hard for one guy to make a dramatic difference. But in fairness, that one guy, I watched him jump from the damn lane and block a three-pointer last year. So, (laughs) I mean, he, he had some of the craziest blocks I ever saw. uh, from a college kid. He is a special, special talent. Now, here's the other thing. They take it very slow with him. He doesn't play back-to-backs, whatever it is. Um, There's also a, you know, you talk to any NBA players that have had this done, the meniscus, it takes them a while to become themselves again and fully trust it. And he is such an explosive athlete, right? So he, I, I certainly wouldn't expect him to be himself there even for another you know 6 to 8 weeks from when he comes back because it's just very hard you know it's the first time that you know if you get cut on you know right before a season yes you do all the rehab and you do all of that stuff but then you've got to get back into nba shape where you're sprinting 94 feet and then beyond that just trusting that knee and getting that completely out of your head and playing like you always have before so we might not even see what I'm saying, we, we might not get the full Zion experience, even if they take it slow till we get to, you know, maybe the All-Star, after the All-Star break. But here's Absolutely. hoping we get to see it, because God, I was yeah. so excited to see him. And hell, they put him on national TV 40 friggin' times. Hopefully. Boy, do I hope so. <laughs> I mean, you know what I mean? Or else they're going to have to start switching out a lot of games that mm. he was, because uh, they're already having to do it with the Warriors. Have you seen that? Yeah. You know, they yep. put the Warriors on national TV so much. They're already having to change that out. They're having to do it. Uh, you know, they're going to have to start doing it with the Pelicans too. All right, Kevin, we'll go right back to it. Want to remind everybody today's episode is brought to you by Luminary, a podcast subscription service with some of the best content around. I'm excited about Luminary because it's the only place I can listen to the Ringer's amazing new podcast, Sonic Boom, How Seattle Lost Its Team, hosted by our very own Jordan ritter Khan. For more than four decades, the Seattle Supersonics were among the NBA's most iconic franchises, but in 2008, they packed their bags for Oklahoma City. Sonic Boom tells the story of basketball and politics, wealth, and power. Along with Sonic Boom, Luminary offers more than 40 podcasts you can't find anywhere else, including two more from The Ringer. Break Stuff, The Story of Woodstock, 1999, and the Rewatchable spin off, The Rewatchables, 1999. The Luminary app is free to download and gives you access to way more than just their own content. You can use it to listen to thousands of other shows, including this one. Get your first two months of access to Luminary's premium content for free when you sign up at luminary.link Ringer NBA. After that, it's only $7.99 a month. That's luminary.link slash ringer NBA for two months of free access. Luminary.link slash ringer NBA. Cancel anytime, terms apply. A couple other things. How is David Fisdale hanging on? I mean, we're recording this on Friday morning, so it's totally possible by the time people listen to this, he's not hanging on. Uh, he called their la- latest effort sickening. I mean, they got blasted last night in Denver. Um, just an embarrassing loss. thirty-seven point loss last night to the Denver Nuggets, and that's eight straight. And they're four and eighteen overall. I think the surprising thing is, Fizz is is hanging on.
1: It's uh, a shocker to you and I, Chris. It's a shocker to Knicks fans. It's a shocker to NBA fans. It's a shocker to every single front office executive that I've chatted with about this. Um, I've heard from a couple sources yesterday that don't believe Fizdale will make it to the Knicks road trip next week. Um, the Knicks go on a on a four game road trip starting Tuesday against Portland. Uh, before then, they face Indiana tomorrow saturday at home um i i've heard that physio won't make it to them then but then again the people didn't think he'd still be here now so who really knows yeah
0: it's just uh, strange right because that last month adrian ward and malika andrews put out that thing that league sources were telling them steve mills had already has sta- started laying the internal groundwork for Fizz's eventual firing right that was last month and and, and then they had that goofy press conference after a game, you know, to make sure everybody knew they weren't happy about where they were and that they still b- believe in their offseason. Like, things have gotten way worse since then. I just told you. I mean, they lost eight in a row. They're, they got friggin' four wins. They're 4-18, and 18, for God's sakes. And that was last month. So I, that's what's so strange about this. He was laying the glou- groundwork to – to put the blame on him, you know, let him fall on the sword a month ago and hell, they hadn't won nothing since. And I don't understand. I don't really, I don't, I don't know what's going on here.
1: (laughs) I mean, it's, it's going to be fascinating to see what happens here. I I think Fizdale is probably going to be the scapegoat during the season, but the more interesting scenario moving forward is, is what does James Dolan do with the front office with Perry and Mills? There's, I know there's been rumblings for years now. Dolan pursued Masai Ujiri in 2017. Those rumblings haven't gone away. That Dolan is just going to throw a bunch of cash at Ujiri next summer. And there's some people in the league who think Ujiri could end up taking it, going to take the next job. I don't know if I believe it. I think Masai has a, an unbelievable situation in Toronto that he set him up himself up with with a supportive ownership. Uh, with with a good team that is young and that has flexibility moving forward, I I have a hard time believing that he would leave that situation for New York. However, there are enough people that I've chatted with who I trust in the league that have said that Dolan is not going to stop going after him and that there is belief that he wouldn't end up going. I, I I just don't see it happening, but there's no doubt that Dolan is, is loves Masai Ujiri, so why wouldn't he continue going for him? And for New York... You, you and I talked about this during the summer, Chris. I said this year and next year is about changing your image. There would be no greater way to change your image for Dolan than to ha- say, I'm stepping back here. We gave $13 million to the best GM in basketball, the best decision maker, the best talent evaluator. Things are t- going to be different here moving forward. If you're Dolan, that's what you should be trying to do. So it makes sense to try to do that. Um, whether he does it or not, who knows, but that's something just keep in mind as this next season develops and those rumors, at least out of the New York media aren't going away, but they're all, it's also a conversation that people aren't talk aren't going to stop talking about, um, within the league either. Do
0: you think that, uh, so if they're four and 18, do you think that the Knicks could have a significantly better record with a different coach?
1: No. I mean, it's it's the team that was put together on the on the court. I I I think this mixed team. I thought they would be more competitive, um, but they have they. It, it's just a bad mix in terms of they don't have enough spacing. They're one of the only teams, if not the only team in the league, that is regularly playing two bigs that can't shoot on the court. It. it <laughs> I mean, this is the type of team that you would build if you want a tank, if you want to organically tank that this is what you would do. And
0: they were trying yeah. to sell everybody that they were just going to be competitive, right? Yeah. They were going to. Well,
1: sure. And I thought, yeah. I personally thought they would have some more fight in them. I personally thought they would. I thought they would suck and they do suck, but I thought they would suck and, and be a bit more competitive than they yeah, actually are. It just
0: wears you down so much. The excessive losing, even the, even the guys that are the 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 bulldogs, they get worn down by it. Um, when you just lose every night. It's hard to keep that, you know, intensity. And they did. They got a bunch of bulldogs. They got the Bobby Portises and the Randalls and these kind of guys. Ty Marcus Mo- Morris. Yeah, just like a bunch of a bunch of dogs on that team that Good Frank Milakina. Oh my God. It's true. Uh,
1: it a big it's performance. True.
0: I can't believe, especially with getting him back in the lineup. I can't believe mm, they lost by a thousand last night. That was crazy. Yeah. Uh last thing before we get out of here for the weekend. So on Tuesday I asked you uh quickly about the draft and you said you had paid attention to some of these overseas guys uh a little more recently. Um I did not ask you what I wanted to which is there is this sentiment, you know, whether it's the Anthony Edwards from Georgia. And we talked about how there's a lot of guard, uh, guard heavy in this upcoming lottery. If you and I know you don't do it this early, but if you put together a list right now, do you think that Lamelo is the number one pick in the draft?
1: I had Anthony Edwards ranked number one heading into the season. I, I wouldn't necessarily waver off that. I'm I'm not married to that take. I am not even dating that take. We are not exclusive (laughs) Um, (laughs) an open relationship. (laughs) It's a a very, very, (laughs) it's a very open relationship. (laughs) Uh, As for, as for LaMelo ball though, I mean, there's no doubt at at 18 years old, this dude is just an unbelievable playmaker Uh, with his size, six, seven, just the instincts he has to make reads that other players can't. It's remarkable, Um, but the defense needs to improve. The shooting needs to improve. The at-room finishing needs to improve. There's a lot of question marks with his game. Um, but if you're drafting a guy off one elite skill, and, and that's the skill he's going to lean on, well, he has that. My my fear with LaMelo Ball, is he just a slightly bigger version of his brother, which is a good player, but is he the guy that you want to take o- number one over some of the other options in this draft? Does RJ Hampton even belong in that discussion a bit more as a superior perimeter shooter? It's, it's going to be a, a fascinating debate moving forward because I, this draft in that regard reminds me of 2013 in the sense that there was no clear number one. There was so much disagreement within the league and within fans and everybody you talk to about who the best prospect was this year i would expect to have a similar debate just with a bit, some better options i hope uh, over the course of the season develop who
0: was 13 i can't remember
1: anthony bennett went number 1 oh god yeah i know i'm i'm <laughs> anthony bennett you know maybe. you know i
0: saw him in person last year in the g league i mean he was an absolute house you, I mean, huge. And he was shooting three. Like, all he did was shoot threes.
1: Oh, I know. He a, can, he it can was stroke cra- it.
0: <laughs> it, was, it was the craziest thing. He really could shoot them. But, I mean, he looked like Escalade from those old, you know, uh, N1 mixtapes. He's a, golly. That, that, even, you know what? Even the day of that draft, like, it wasn't until late that I remember, like, that came about, Anthony Bennett. Was going I, even like that morning. A lot of the mocks had who, what Ben McLemore. A lot of people had Ben McLemore going number one. I remember LeBron was a huge Ben McLemore guy, but a lot of people had Macklemore going at the top of that draft, and some had Nerlens. But then he had to add the injury, and he dropped a little. That was a weird draft night, to say the least.
1: It, um, it was it was incredibly weird. Uh, that that uh that that was my first draft covering as as a writer. Um, I look back at my my top ten rankings. My top ten that year: Oladipo, Noel, McLemore, Bennett, Len, Porter, Burke, McCollum, Anthony D'Acampo, um, I'm I'm happy I had Giannis. Had Giannis. In a, in a,
0: Look at you had, with I, the I'm happy
1: I had I'm happy I had Giannis ninth, but I also had him behind Trey Burke on <laughs> a Autobor, <laughs> Alex Land, Anthony Bennett, <laughs> Mac <McLemore>, and Noel. <laughs> <laughs> I'm happy I'm happy about that. And I'm happy I had Old of number one, but it's it's really fascinating some of the other names in that draft. Like Shabazz Mohammed, when's the last time you've heard that name?
0: Oh my God. <laughs>
1: Number he, hasn't one even prospect. Had an NBA,
0: he hasn't even had an NBA career.
1: I know. I know.
0: That was the weirdest thing, too. You remember that whole thing about his age? And yeah. he had like he knew how old he was, but he had lied about his age. For so, so Everything about that draft was strange. Everything.
1: I still don't get Oladipo not going number one. I I thought he was the the clear guy.
0: Oh, I loved Oladipo at Indiana. God, I loved him. Yeah, he, he was so fun to watch.
1: Ugh. I can't wait. I can't wait till he's back. They Indiana broke my. Now. They
0: broke my heart. That team had him and Zeller. They broke my heart. They they got a. Uh, they got zoned up by Syracuse, and I swear to God, Tom Crean had had, had never even thought to prepare them for how to attack a two-three zone. It was embarrassing. I mean, they got <laughs> they, they got knocked out by that team. I had them going to the national title game that year. I still remember because I mean they had well what Zeller went in the top five, didn't he? He go four. He, he, he certainly I mean, went he in the went, top he ten. He went
1: fourth, if I remember correctly. Yeah.
0: yeah. So, I mean, they had two top five picks on that team and got ousted in the NCAA tournament. Yeah, that was, that was wild. Anyway, Kevin, have an unbelievable weekend, and I will talk to you on Tuesday.
1: You as well, Chris, and thanks, everybody, for listening. Have a good weekend.
0: Thanks to everybody for listening to another episode of The Mismatch. If you dig what you're hearing, go give us a rating and review on iTunes. Five stars, five stars. It really helps, and we will talk to you on Tuesday.